Reading chapter 82, 82 out of 90. Lord Krishna and Balaram meet the inhabitants of Vrindavan. Once upon a time, while Lord Krishna and Balaram were living peacefully in their great city of Dwaraka, there was a rare occasion of a full solar eclipse. Such as, such as takes place at the end of every kalpa, or day of Brahma. <clears throat> at the end of every kalpa, the sun is covered by a great cloud, and incessant rain covers the lower planetary systems up to Swargaloka. By astronomical calculation, people were informed about this great eclipse prior to its taking place, and therefore everyone, both men and women, decided to assemble at the holy place in Kurukshetra, known as Samanta Panchika. The Samanta Panchika pilgrimage site is celebrated because Lord Parashuram performed great sacrifices there after killing all the Chatriyas in the world 21 times. When Lord Parashuram killed all the Chatriyas, their accumulated blood flowed like a stream Lord Parashuram dug five big lakes at Samantapanchika and filled them with this blood. Lord Parashuram is Vishnu Tattva. As stated in the Ishopanishad, Vishnu Tattva cannot be contaminated by any sinful activity. Yet although Lord Parashuram is fully powerful and uncontaminated, in order to exhibit ideal character, he performed great sacrifices at Samantapanchika to atone for his so-called sinful killing of the Chatriyas. By his example, Lord Parashuram established that the killing art, although sometimes necessary, is not good. Lord Parashuram considered himself culpable for the sinful killing of the Chatriyas. Therefore, how much more culpable we are for such abominable, unsanctioned acts. Thus, from time immemorial, the killing of living entities is prohibited all over the world. Taking advantage of the occasion of the solar eclipse, all important persons from all parts of Bharat Barsha visited the holy place of pilgrimage. Some of the important personalities are mentioned as follows. Among the elderly persons were Akrura, Vasudev, and Ugrasena. And among the younger generations were Gada, Prajumna, Samba, and many other members of the Yadu dynasty, who had come there with a view to atone for sinful activities accrued in the course of discharging their respective duties. <clears throat> because almost all the members of the Yadu dynasty went to Kurukshetra, some important personalities like Aniruddha, the son of Prajumna, and Kritavarma, the commander-in-chief of the Yadu dynasty, along with Suchandra, Shuka, and Sarana, remained in Dwarka to protect the city. All the members of the Yadu dynasty were naturally very beautiful. And on this occasion, 
when they appeared duly decorated with gold necklaces and flower garlands, dressed in valuable clothing, and properly armed with their respective weapons, their natural beauty and personalities were a hundred times enhanced. The members of the Yadu dynasty came to Kurikshetra in their gorgeously decorated chariots, which resembled the airplanes of the demigods, and which were pulled by big horses that moved like the waves of the ocean. Some Yadus rode on sturdy, stalwart elephants that moved like the clouds in the sky. Their wives were carried on beautiful palanquins by beautiful men whose features resembled those of the Vidyadras. The entire assembly looked as beautiful as an assembly of the demigods in heaven. After arriving in Kurukshetra, the members of the Yadu dynasty took their baths ceremoniously, ceremoniously, with self-control, as enjoined in the Shastras, and they observed fasting for the whole period of the eclipse in order to nullify the reactions of their sinful activities. Since it is a Vedic custom to give in charity as much as possible during the hours of the eclipse, the members of the Yadu dynasty distributed many hundreds of cows in charity to the brahmanas. All those cows were fully decorated with nice dress and ornaments. The special feature of these cows was that they had golden ankle bells and flower garlands on their necks. After the eclipse, all the members of the Yadu dynasty again took their baths in the lakes created by Lord Parashuram then they sumptuously fed the brahmanas with first-class cooked food, all prepared in butter. According to the Vedic system, <clears throat> there are two classes of food. One is called raw food, and the other is called cooked food. Raw food does not indicate raw vegetables and raw grains, but food boiled in water whereas cooked food is made in ghee. Chapatis, dal, rice, and ordinary vegetables are called raw foods, as are fruits and salads. But puris, chikoris, kachoris, samosas, sweet balls, and so on are called cooked foods. All the brahmanas, invited on that occasion by the members of the Yadu dynasty, were fed sumptuously with cooked food. The ceremonial functions performed by the members of the Yadu dynasty externally resembled the ritualistic ceremonies performed by the karmis. When a karmi performs some ritualistic ceremony, his ambition is sense gratification, good position, good wife, good house, good children, or good wealth. But the ambition of the members of the Yadu dynasty was different. Their ambition was to offer Krishna perpetual devotion with faith. <clears throat> All the members of the Yadu dynasty were great devotees. As such, after many births of accumulated pious activities, they were given the chance to associate with Lord Krishna. In going to take their baths in the place of pilgrimage at Kurukshetra, in observing the regulator principles during the solar eclipse, or in feeding the brahmanas, in all their activities, they simply thought of devotion to Krishna. 
Their ideal worshipable Lord was Krishna and no one else. After the brahmanas are fed, it is the custom for the host, with their permission, to accept prasadam. Thus, with the permission of the brahmanas, all the members of the Yadu dynasty took lunch. Then they selected resting underneath the big shady, underneath big shady trees, and when they had taken sufficient rest, they prepared to visit. They prepared to receive visitors, among whom were relatives and friends. As, as well as many subordinate kings and rulers. There were the rulers of Natsya province, Ushinara province, Koshala province, Vidarbha province, Kuru province, Srinjaya province, Kamboja province, Kekaya province, Madras province, Kunti province, Anartha province, Kerala province, and many other countries and provinces. Some of the rulers belonged to opposing parties, and some were friends. But above all, the visitors from Brindavan were most prominent. The residents of Brindavan, headed by Nanda Maharaj, had been living in great anxiety because of separation from Krishna and Balaram. Taking a eclipse, they all came to see their life and soul, Krishna and Balaram. The inhabitants of Vrindavan were well-wishers and intimate friends of the Yadu dynasty. This meeting of the two parties after long separation was a very touching incident. All the Yadus and the residents of Vrindavan felt such great meeting and talking together that it was a unique scene. Meeting after long separation, they were all jubilant. Their hearts throbbed and their faces appeared like freshly bloomed lotus flowers. Drops of tears fell from their eyes, the hairs on their bodies stood an end, and because of their extreme ecstasy, they were temporarily speechless. In other words, they dove into the ocean of happiness. While the men were meeting in that way, the women also met one another in the same manner. They embraced one another in great friendship, smiled, smiling very mildly, and looked at one another with much affection. When they were bracing one another in their arms, the saffron and kumkum spread on their breasts was exchanged into another, and they all felt heavenly ecstasy. Due to such heart-to-heart -heart embracing, torrents of tears glided down their cheeks. The juniors were offering obeisances to the elders, and the elders were offering their blessings to the juniors. Thus they welcomed one another and asked after one another's welfare. Ultimately, however, was only of Krishna. All the neighbors and relatives were connected with Lord Krishna's pastimes in the world, in this world, and as such, Krishna was the center of all activities. Whatever activities they performed, social, political, religious, or conventional, were transcendental. The real elevation of human life rests on knowledge and renunciation. As stated in the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, 
Devotional service rendered to Krishna automatically produces perfect knowledge and renunciation. The family members of the Yadu dynasty and the cowherds of Vrindavan had their minds fixed on Krishna. That is the symptom of perfect knowledge. And because their minds were always engaged in Krishna, they were automatically activities. This stage of life is called Yukta Vairagya, as enunciated by Srila Rupa Goswami. Knowledge and renunciation, therefore, do not mean dry speculation and renunciation of activities. Rather, one must start speaking and acting only in relationship with Krishna. In this meeting at Kukshetra, Kunti Devi and Vasudev, who are sister and brother, met after a long separation, along with their respective sons and daughters-in-law, children and other family members. By talking among themselves, they soon forgot all their past miseries. Kunti Devi especially addressed her brother, Vasudev, as follows. My dear brother, I am very unfortunate because not one of my desires has ever been fulfilled. Otherwise, how could it happen that although I have such a saintly brother as you, perfect in all respects, you did not inquire from me as to how I was passing my days in a distressed condition of life? It appears that Kunti Devi was remembering the miserable days when she had been banished with her sons through the mischievous plans of Dhritarashtra and Duryodhana. She continued, My dear brother, I can understand that when providence goes against someone, even one's nearest relatives forget him. In such a condition, even one's father, one's mother, or one's own children will forget him. Therefore, my dear brother, I do not accuse you. Vasudev replied to his sister, My dear sister, do not be sorry and do not blame me in that way. We should always remember that we are all toys in the hands of providence. Everyone is under the control of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It is under his control only that all kinds of fruit of actions and their reactions take place. My dear sister, you know that we were very much harassed by King Kamsa, and by his persecutions we were scattered here and there. We were always full of anxiety. Only in the last few days have we returned to our places by the grace of God. After this conversation, Vasudeva and Ugrasena received the kings who came to see them and they warmly welcomed them all. Seeing Lord Krishna present on the spot, all the visitors felt transcendental pleasure and became very peaceful. Some of the prominent visitors were as follows. Bhishmadev, Dronacharya, Ryotan, Gandhari, along with her sons, King Yudhishthira, along with his wife, and the Pandavas, along with Kunti, as well as Sanjaya, Vidura, Kripacharya, Kunti Bhoja, Virata, Bhishmaka, King Nagnajit, Purajit, Drupada, Shalya, Drishtiketu, and the king of Kashi, Tamagosh, Vishalaksha, the king of Matila, the king of Madras, formerly known as Madra, the king of Kekai, Yudamanyu, Susharma, Halika, along with his sons, and many other rulers subordinate to King Yudhishthira. When the visitors saw Lord Krishna with his thousands of queens, they were fully satisfied at the sight of such beauty and transcendental opulence. All who were there personally visited Lord Balaram and Krishna, and being properly welcomed by them, they began to glorify the members of the Yadu dynasty, especially Krishna and Balaram. Because Ugrasena was the king of the Bojas, he was considered the chief Yadu, and therefore the visitors specifically addressed him, Your Majesty Ugrasena, 
King of the Bojas, factually the Yadus are the only persons within this world who are perfect in all respects. All glory is unto you. All glory is unto you. The specific condition of your perfection is that you always see Lord Krishna, who is sought by many mystic yogis, undergoing severe austerities and penances for great numbers of years. All of you are in direct touch with Lord Krishna at every moment. All the Vedic hymns glorify the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna. The Ganges water is considered sanctified because of its being the water used to wash the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. The Vedic scriptures are nothing but the injunctions of Lord Krishna. The purpose of the study of all the Vedas is to know Krishna. Therefore, the words of Krishna and the message of his pastimes are always purifying. By the influence of time and circumstances, all the opulences of this world were almost completely wiped out. But since Krishna has appeared on this planet, all auspicious features have again appeared due to the touch of his lotus feet. Because of his presence, all our ambitions and desires are gradually being fulfilled. Your Majesty, King of the Bojas, you are related with the Yadu dynasty by matrimonial relationship and by blood relationship also. As a result, you are constantly associating with Lord Krishna and you have no difficulty in seeing him or touching him at any time. Lord Krishna moves with you, talks with you, sits with you, rests with you, and dines with you. The Yadus appear to be always engaged in worldly affairs which are considered to be the royal road to hell. But due to the presence of Lord Krishna, the original personality of Godhead in the Vishnu category, who is omniscient, omnip omnipresent, and omnipotent, all of you are factually relieved from all material contamination and are situated in the transcendental position of liberation and Brahman existence. When Nanda Maharaj and the other residents of Vrindavan had heard that Krishna would be present in Kukshetra because of the solar eclipse and that all the members of the Yadu dynasty would also be there, they had immediately prepared to go there. King Nanda, accompanied by his coward men, had loaded all their necessary paraphernalia and bullet carts, and all of the Vrindavan residents had come to Kurukshetra to see their beloved sons, Balaram and Lord Krishna. When the coward men of Vrindavan arrived in Kurukshetra, all the members of the Yadu dynasty were most pleased. As soon as they saw the residents of Vrindavan, they stood up to welcome them and appeared to have regained their life. All the Yadus and Vrindavan residents had been very eager to meet, and when they actually came forward and met, they embraced one another to their heart's satisfaction and remained in embrace for a considerable time. As soon as Vasudev saw Nanda Maharaj, Vasudev jumped up and ran over to him and embraced him very affectionately. Vasudev began to narrate his own past history, how he had been imprisoned by King Kamsa, how his babies had been killed, how immediately after Krishna's birth he had carried Krishna to the place of Nanda Maharaj, and how Krishna and Balaram had been raised by Nanda Maharaj and his queen, Yashoda, as their own children. Similarly, Lord Balaram and Krishna also embraced King Nanda and Mother Yashoda, and then they offered their respect unto their lotus feet by bowing down. Because of their feeling affection for Nanda and Yashoda, Lord Krishna and Balaram became choked up, and for a few seconds they could not speak. The most fortunate king, Nanda, and Mother Yashoda placed their sons on their laps and began to embrace them to their full satisfaction. 
Because, because of separation from Krishna and Balaram, King Nanda and Yashoda had been merged in great distress for a very long time. Now after meeting them and embracing them, all their sufferings were mitigated. After this, Krishna's mother Devaki and Balaram's mother Rohini both embraced Mother Yashoda. They said, Dear Queen Yashoda Devi, you and Nanda Maharaj have been great friends to us, and when we remember you, we are immediately overwhelmed by the thought of your friendly activities. We are so indebted to you that even if we were to return your benediction by giving you the opulence of the King of Heaven, it would not be enough to repay you for your friendly behavior. We shall never forget, isn't that nice? Never enough to repay you for your friendly behavior. <laughs> oh, boy. We shall never forget your kind, kindly behavior toward us. When Krishna and Balaram were born, before they even saw their real father and mother, they were entrusted to your care, and you raised them as your own children, fostering them as birds take care of their offspring in the nest. You have nicely fed, nourished, and loved them and have performed many auspicious religious ceremonies for their benefit. Actually, they are not our sons. They belong to you. Nanda Maharaj and you are the real father and mother of Krishna Balaram. As long as they were under your care, they had not even a pinch of difficulty. Under your protection, they were completely out of the way of all kinds of fear. This most affectionate care which you have taken for them is completely befitting your elevated position. The most noble personalities, the most noble personalities do not discriminate between their own sons and the sons of others, and there cannot be any personalities more noble than Nanda Maharaj and you. Is that the first time they're letting them know? Because Nanda and Yashoda didn't know before that. This is, this is a, a revelation at that point. No one's disagreeing. Yeah, because they didn't know. Um, um, Yashoda was, is described as being sound asleep because of child labor, and then she wakes up. She wasn't sure. She didn't know if she had a boy or a girl. And she woke up and saw she had a boy, but they already changed the children, and nobody told them until now. What? He got hints. Oh, he didn't tell him then. He didn't tell him then, and neither did Gargamuni. Gargamuni gave hints that about the thing, but it wasn't that Nanda Maharaj just suddenly knew. No? Yes? They must have known, otherwise why? When Krishna went to Mathura, then, and he stayed there, at that point they knew that they were his parents, his parents were... Vasudeva and Devaki, right? Or why would he stay there then if didn't right. Which section? When right when he went to Mathura uh, and yeah, stayed there. There's a dialogue like that in, in that section. I can't maybe you could look it up. Huh? Is it straight after the Kamsa was killed? There was a short conversation there yeah, between yeah. Devki and Nanda Maharaj. Oridamo, Oridamo. I can't, I can't without you. Hori, Hori. 
As far as the gopis of Vrindavan were concerned, from the very beginning of their lives, they did not know anything beyond Krishna. Krishna and Balaram were their life and soul. The gopis were so attached to Krishna <clears throat> that they could not tolerate not seeing him even momentarily when their eyelids blinked and impeded their vision. They condemned Brahma, the creator of the body, because he foolishly made eyelids which blinked and checked their seeing Krishna. Because they had been separated from Krishna for so many years, the gopis, having come along with Nanda Maharaj and Mother Yashoda, felt intense ecstasy upon seeing Krishna. No one can even imagine how eager the gopis were to see Krishna again. As soon as gopi became, as soon as Krishna became visible to them, <clears throat> they took him inside their and embraced him to their full satisfaction. Even though they were embracing Krishna only mentally, they became so ecstatic and overwhelmed with joy that for some time, for the time being, they completely forgot themselves. The ecstatic trance they achieved simply by embracing Krishna is impossible to achieve even for great yogis constantly engaged in meditation on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna can understand that the gopis were wrapped in ecstasy by embracing him in their, mid, in their minds. And therefore, since he is present in everyone's heart, he reciprocated embracing from within. <clears throat> Krishna was sitting with Mother Yashoda and his other mothers, Devaki and Rohini. But when the mothers engaged in talking, he took the opportunity and went to a secluded place to meet the gopis. As soon as he approached the gopis, the Lord smiled, and after embracing them and inquiring about their welfare, he began to encourage them, saying, My dear friends, you know that Lord Balaram and I left Vrindavan just to please our relatives and family members. Thus, we were long engaged in fighting with our enemies and were obliged to forget you, who were so much attached to me in love and affection. I can understand that I have been, very, I, have been I can understand that I have been ungrateful to you, but still I know that you are faithful to me. May I, may I inquire if you have been thinking of me, although I had to leave you behind? My dear gopis, do you now dislike remembering me, considering me to have been, to have been ungrateful to you? Do you take my misbehavior with you very seriously? After all, you should know that it was not my intention to leave you. Our separation was adorned by Providence, who after all is the Supreme Controller and does as he desires. He causes the intermingling of different persons and again disperses them as he desires. Sometimes we see that a strong wind will mingle together clouds. Sometimes we see that a strong wind will mingle together clouds, atomic particles of dust or broken pieces of cotton. And after the strong wind subsides, all the clouds, particles of dust and pieces of cotton are again separated, scattered in different, different places. Similarly, the Supreme Lord is the creator of everything. 
<clears throat> the objects we see are different manifestations of his energy. By his supreme will, we are sometimes united and sometimes separated. We can therefore conclude that ultimately we are absolutely dependent on his will. Fortunately, you have developed loving affection for me, which is the only way to achieve the transcendental position of association with me. Any living entity who develops such unalloyed devotional affection for me <clears throat> certainly at the end goes back home, back to Godhead. <clears throat> In other words, unalloyed devotional service and affection for me are the causes, are the cause of supreme liberation. My dear Gopi friends, you may know from me that it is my energies only which are acting everywhere. Take, for example, an earthen pot. It is nothing but a combination of earth, water, air, fire, and sky. It is always of the same physical composition, whether in its beginning, during its existence, or after its annihilation. <clears throat> when it is created, the earthen pot is made of earth, water, fire, air, and sky. While it remains, it is the same in composition, and when it is broken and annihilated, its different ingredients are conserved in different parts of the material energy. Similarly, at the creation of this cosmic manifestation, during its maintenance and after its dissolution, everything is but a different manifestation of my energy. And because the energy is not separate from me, it is to be concluded that I am existing in everything. In the same way, the body of the living ent being is nothing but a composition of the five elements, and the living entity embodied in the material condition is also part and parcel of me. The living entity is imprisoned in the material condition on account of his false conception of himself as the supreme enjoyer. This false ego of the living entity is the cause of his imprisonment in material existence. As the supreme absolute truth, <clears throat> I am transcendental to the living entity, as well as to his material embodiment. The two energies, material and spiritual, both act under my supreme control. My dear gopis, I request that instead of being afflicted, you try to accept everything with a philosophical attitude. Then you will understand that you are always with me and that there is no cause of lamentation in our being separated from one another. This important instruction by Lord Krishna to the gopis can be utilized by all devotees engaged in Krishna consciousness. The whole philosophy is considered on the basis of inconceivable, simultaneous oneness and difference. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that He is present everywhere in His impersonal feature. Everything exists in Him, but still He is not personally present everywhere. The cosmic manifestation is nothing but a display of Krishna's energy, and because the energy is not different from the energetic, nothing is different from Krishna. When this absolute consciousness Krishna consciousness is absent, we are separated from Krishna. But fortunately, 
if this Krishna consciousness is present, then we are not separated from Krishna. The process of devotional service is the revival of Krishna consciousness. And if the devotee is fortunate enough to understand that the material energy is not separate from Krishna, <clears throat> then he can utilize the material energy and its products in the service of the Lord. But in the absence of Krishna consciousness, the forgetful living entity, although part and parcel of Krishna, falsely puts himself in the position of enjoyer of the material world and being thus implicated in material entanglement is forced by the material energy to continue his material existence. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita. Although a living entity is forced to act by the material energy, he falsely thinks that he is the all in all and the supreme enjoyer. If the, if the devotee knows perfectly that the Archa Vigraha or the deity form of Lord Krishna in the temple is exactly the same, Satchidananda Vigraha, as Krishna himself, then his service to the temple deity becomes direct service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Similarly, the temple itself, the temple paraphernalia, and the food offered to the deity are also not separate from Krishna. One has to follow the rules and regulations prescribed by the Acharyas, and thus, under superior guidance, Krishna realization is fully possible, even in this material existence. The gopis having been instructed by Krishna in this philosophy of simultaneous oneness and difference, remained always in Krishna consciousness and thus became liberated from all material contamination. The consciousness of a living entity who falsely presents himself as the enjoyer of the material world is called jiva kosha, which means imprisonment by the false ego. Not only the gopis, but anyone who follows these instructions of Krishna is immediately freed from the jiva kosha imprisonment. A person in full Krishna consciousness is always liberated from false egoism. He utilizes everything for Krishna's service and is not at any time separated from Krishna. The gopis therefore prayed to Krishna, Dear Krishna, from your navel emanated the original lotus flower, which is the birth, birth site of Brahma, the creator. No one can estimate your glories or your opulence, which therefore remain always a mystery even to the highest thoughtful men, the masters of all yogic power. However, the conditioned soul fallen in the dark... Sorry. However, the conditioned soul fallen in the dark well of this material existence can very easily take shelter of your lotus feet. Thus, his deliverance is guaranteed. The gopis continued, Dear Krishna, we are always busy in our family affairs. <clears throat> we therefore request that you remain within our hearts as the rising sun. That will be your greatest benediction. The gopis are always liberated souls because they are fully in Krishna consciousness. They only pretended to be entangled in household affairs in Vrindavan. Because of their separation from Krishna, he might have asked them to return with him to, their cap to his capital city, Dwarka, 
But the inhabitants of Vrindavan and the gopis were not interested in the idea of going with Krishna to Dwarka. They wanted to remain busy in Vrindavan and thus feel the presence of Krishna in every step of their lives. They immediately invited Krishna to come back to Vrindavan. This transcendental emotion, this transcendental emotional existence of the gopis is the basic principle of Lord Chaitanya's teaching. The Rathyatra festival observed by Lord Chaitanya is the emotional process of taking Krishna back to Vrindavan. Srimati Radharani refused to go with Krishna to Dwarka to enjoy his company in the atmosphere of royal opulence, for she wanted to enjoy his company in the original Vrindavan atmosphere. Lord Krishna, being profoundly attached to the gopis, never goes away from Vrindavan, and the gopis and other residents of Vrindavan remain fully satisfied in Krishna consciousness. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 82nd chapter of Krishna. Lord Krishna and Balaram meet the inhabitants of Vrindavan. It seems as I found this passage from the killing of Kamsa. Nandamaraj and Yashoda were also living in Mathura because Krishna and Balaram were there. But after some time, they wanted to go back to Vrindavan. Krishna and Balaram went before Nanda and Yashoda and very affectionately embraced them. And then the two lords spoke as follows. Dear father and mother, although we were born of Vasudeva and Devaki, you have been our real father and mother because from our very birth and childhood you raised us with great affection and love. Your affectionate love for us was more than anyone can offer one's own children. Father and mother, because you raised us as your own children when we were just like orphans. For certain reasons, we were rejected by our father and mother, and you protected us. Dear father and mother, we know that you will feel separation upon returning to Vrindavan and leaving us here. But please rest assured that we shall come back to Vrindavan just after giving some satisfaction to our real father and mother, Vasudeva and Devaki, and our grandfather and other family members. Krishna Balaram thus satisfied Nanda and Yashoda by sweet words, and by presentations of various kinds of clothing, ornaments, and copper utensils. They satisfied them along with their friends and neighbors who had come with them from Vrindavan to Mathura as fully as possible. On account of excessive parental affection for Balaram and Krishna, Nanda Maharaj felt tears in his eyes, and he embraced them and started with the cowherd men for Vrindavan. Any other reflections or comments? Just from this passage, um, so it's not evident that Yash, uh, Devaki and Vasudeva were actually present in this conversation. So it's quite possible that what we read earlier was that this conversation might have just taken place between Yashoda Nanda Baba and Krishna. Uh -huh. So now, now you're saying it's possible that at that. Um, the meeting we just read about, that's the first time yes, they found out. from that. Through forensics. <laughs> well, I also wrote to Kartik Chandra to ask him if this, I sent him this passage, said, is this the first time? So we'll wait and see. He usually writes back pretty quickly. Any, sorry, Dave. Any other things? 
Prabhupada used to say when he talked about Rathi, and when he talked about Rathiyatra, he used the phrase, it's a very feeling festival. And here he talked about how emotional it was. It's a momentous chapter. As Prabhupada pointed out in one sentence there, this is the essence of the philosophy of Lord Chaitanya. The way in which the devotees feel separation from Krishna at the same time, that's what brings them closer to him, paradoxically. Because he's all pervading through the intensity of the separation, they feel his presence. Uh-oh. Speaking with no mic. Okay. Any other... <laughs> my favorite chapter, <clears throat> actually. This is my favorite chapter. And there is two chapters. Nanda Maharaj, he refuses to go. And he stays there for months. And everyone else goes, except for the others, because they can't go. And then finally they figure it out. Nanda Maharaj is not going to go without Krishna. We'll see what happens. Giri. Isn't there something like Bhaktivinoda Thakur said a comment about this, about how he wants to serve the Kurukshetra, Radharani, or something? Because it's in this. kind of her greatest need. Yeah. Yeah, he points out there that this Kurukshetra, which was unlike, most people find that unlikely, but because of the emotion there. Is it's it's so intense when they come back to see Krishna at that place and they want him to come back, that that's where he says you'll get the most traction in worshiping the Lord. Yeah. The one another point which I noted here is in this passage where it's mentioned the gopis having been instructed by Krishna in his philosophy of simultaneous oneness and difference remained always in Krishna consciousness. And then the paragraph next where they mention the gopis therefore pray to Krishna, the dear Krishna from your navel emanated the original lotus flower which is the birth side of Brahma, the creator. So I was thinking, I mean, to my limited understanding, it seems it's the first time really where the gopis are actually getting to know something which is beyond Madhurya and beyond um, the Vrindavan atmosphere, like this is getting into the creation and Vaikuntha uh, kind of knowledge, which I can't remember gopis having that understanding and knowledge, and now they're glorifying back to Krishna in that, that spirit. Well, Well, <clears throat> when Uddhava delivered the message of Krishna to the gopis, he explained exactly this to them. Same message. But in that pas in that section, the gopis, they, they, they weren't having it. They said, forget this. We want to be with you. What is all this philosophy? This is nonsense. So it was there, but it was in a different mood. Anything else? Hare Krishna. But does actually this philosophy satisfy the gopis? Because when Uddhava tells it to the gopis, they are not really satisfied. Now the gopis are saying this philosophy, but they're just saying to cover things up and to hide their emotions. Because actually they have much bigger emotions than just oneness. That's 
kind of uh, don't care about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's and that brings us to the Gayatri break. We'll be back here at 20 minutes after. Gor Premarande Haribo. We're taking up at chapter 83. Yeah, thank you. Dropani meets the queens of Krishna. Three hours and nine minutes? How'd that happen? It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny, Marsh. Jopati meets the queens of Krishna. Is everyone okay? Settled in? Is there a Kumbha Mela going on somewhere? Okay. There are many visitors who came to see Krishna, and among them were the Pandavas headed by King Yudhishthira. After talking with the gopis and bestowing upon them the greatest benediction, <clears throat> Lord Krishna welcomed King Yudhishthira and other relatives who had come to see him. He first of all inquired from them whether their situation was auspicious. Actually, there is no question of ill fortune for anyone who sees the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. Yet when Lord Krishna, as a matter of etiquette, inquired from King Yudhishthira about his welfare, the king became very happy by such a reception and addressed the Lord thus. My dear Lord Krishna, great personalities and devotees in full Krishna consciousness always think of your lotus feet and remain fully satisfied by drinking the nectar of transcendental bliss. The nectar which they constantly drink sometimes comes out of their mouths and is sprinkled on others as the narration of your transcendental activities. This nectar coming from the mouth of a devotee is so powerful that if one is fortunate enough to have the opportunity to drink it, he is immediately freed from the continuous journey of birth and death. Our material existence is caused by our forgetfulness of your personality, but fortunately the darkness of forgetfulness is immediately dissipated if one is privileged to hear about your glories. Therefore, my dear Lord, where is the, pers where is the possibility of ill fortune for one who is constantly engaged in hearing your glorious activities. Since we are fully surrendered unto you and have no other shelter than your lotus feet, we are always confident of our good fortune. My dear Lord, you are the ocean of unlimited knowledge and transcendental bliss. The reactions of mental concoctions in the three phases of material life, wakefulness, sleep, and deep sleep, cannot exist in Krishna consciousness. All such reactions are invalidated by the practice of Krishna consciousness. You are the ultimate destination of all liberated persons. Out of your independent will only, you have descended to this earth by the use of your own internal potency, yoga maya. And to reestablish the Vedic principles of life, you have appeared just like an ordinary human being. Since you are the supreme person, there cannot be any ill luck for one who has fully surrendered unto you. When Lord Krishna was busy meeting various kinds of visitors, and while they were engaged in offering prayers to the Lord, the female members of the Kuru dynasty 
and the Yadu dynasty took the opportunity to meet with one another and engage in talk of Lord Krishna's transcendental pastimes. The first inquiry was made by Draupadi to the wives of Lord Krishna. She addressed them, My dear Rukmini, Bhadra, Jambavati, Satya, Satyabhama, Kalindi, Shaibya, Mitravindra, Lakshmana, Rohini, and all other wives of Lord Krishna, will you please let us know how Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God, accepted you as his wives and married you in pursuance of the marriage ceremonies of ordinary human beings? To this question, the chief of the queens, Rukmini Devi, replied, My dear Draupadi, it was practically a settled fact that princes like Jarasandha wanted me to marry King Shishupal, and, as is usual, all the princes present during the marriage ceremony were prepared with their armor and weapons to fight for, with any rival who dared to stop the marriage. But the Supreme Personality of God had kidnapped me the way a lion takes away a lamb from the flock. This was not, however, a very wondrous act for Lord Krishna because anyone who claims to be a great hero or king within this world is subordinate to the lotus feet of the Lord. All kings touch their helmets to the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. My dear Draupadi, it is my eternal desire that life after life I be engaged in the service of Lord Krishna, who is the reservoir of all pleasure and beauty. This is my only desire and ambition in life. After this, Satyabhama began to speak. She said, My dear Draupadi, my father was very much afflicted by the death of his brother, Prasena, and he falsely accused Lord Krishna of killing his brother and stealing the Shamantaka jewel, which had actually been taken by Jambavan. Lord Krishna, in order to establish his pure character, fought with Jambavan and rescued the Shamantaka jewel, which he later delivered to my father. My father was very much ashamed and sorry for accusing Lord Krishna of his brother's death. After getting back to Shamataka Jewel, he thought it wise to rectify his mistake, so although he had promised others my hand in marriage, he submitted the jewel and me at the lotus feet of Krishna, and thus I was accepted as his maidservant and wife. After this, Jambavati replied to Draupadi's question. She said, My dear Draupadi, when Lord Krishna attacked my father, Jambavan, the king of the rikshas, my father did not know that Lord Krishna was his former master, Lord Ramachandra, the husband of Sita. Not knowing the identity of Lord Krishna, my father fought with him continuously for 27 days. After this period, when he became fatigued, he could understand that since no one but Lord Ramachandra could defeat him, his opponent, Lord Krishna, must be the same Lord Ramachandra. He thus came to his senses and immediately returned the Shamantaka jewel. Furthermore, to satisfy the Lord, he presented me to him to become his wife. In this way, I was married to the Lord, and thus my desire to be a servitor of Krishna life after life was fulfilled. After this, Kalindi said, My dear Draupadi, I was engaged in great austerities and penances to get Lord Krishna as my husband. When he became aware of this fact, he very kindly came to me with his friend Arjuna and accepted me as his wife. Lord Krishna then took me away from the bank of the Jamuna, and since then I have been engaged in the house of Lord Krishna as a sweeper. His wife. After this, Mitravinda said, My dear Draupadi, there was a great assembly of princes at my Swayamvara ceremony. 
the personal selection of a husband. Lord Krishna was also present in that meeting, and he accepted me as his maidservant by defeating all the princes there. He immediately took me away to Dwarka, exactly as a lion takes its prey from a pack of dogs. When I was thus taken away by Lord Krishna, my brothers wanted to fight him, and later they were defeated. Thus, my desire to become the maidservant of Krishna, life after life, was fulfilled. After this, Satya addressed Draupadi in this way, My dear Draupadi, my father arranged for an assembly for my Swayamvara, and to test the strength and heroism of the prospective bridegrooms, he stipulated that they each fight with his seven ferocious bulls, which had long, sharp horns. Many heroic prospects tried to defeat the bulls, but unfortunately they were all severely struck, and they returned to their homes as defeated invalids. When Lord Sri Krishna came and fought with the bulls, they were just like playthings for him. He captured the bulls and roped each one of them by the nostrils. Thus they came under his control, just as a goat's small kids come very easily under the control of children. My father was very much pleased and married me to Lord Krishna with great pomp, giving as my dowry many of soldiers, horses, chariots, and elephants, along with hundreds of maidservants. Thus Lord Krishna brought me to his capital city, Dwarka. On the way back, he was assaulted by many princes. But Lord Krishna defeated all of them, and thus I have the privilege of serving his lotus feet as a maidservant. After this, Bhadra began to speak. She said, My dear Draupadi, Lord Krishna is the son of my maternal uncle. Fortunately, I became attracted to his lotus feet. When my father understood these feelings of mine, he personally arranged for my marriage, inviting Lord Krishna to marry me and giving me in dowry one akshohini or division of armed forces along with many maidservants and other royal paraphernalia. I do not know whether... I shall be able to have the shelter of Lord Krishna life after life, but still I pray to the Lord that wherever I may take my birth, I may not forget my relationship with his lotus feet. Then Lakshmana said, My dear queen, many times I heard the great sage Narada glorifying the pastimes of Lord Krishna. I became attracted to the lotus feet of Krishna when I heard Narada say that the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, was attracted to his lotus feet. <clears throat> Since then, I have always been thinking of him, and thus my attraction for him has increased. My dear queen, my father was very affectionate toward me. When he understood that I was attracted to Krishna, he devised a plan like that devised by your father. During the Swayambara, the prospective bridegrooms had to pierce the eyes of a fish with the ar their arrows. The difference between the competition in your Swayambara and mine was that in yours the fish was hanging openly on the ceiling in clear view, but in mine the fish was covered and could be seen only by its reflection in a pot of water. That was the special feature of my Swayambara. The news of this device spread all over the world, and when the princes heard of it, they arrived at my cap father's capital city from all directions, fully equipped with armor 
and guided by their military instructors. Each of them desired to win me as his wife, and one after another, they raised the bow and arrow left there for piercing the fish. Many could not even join the bowstring to the two ends of the bow, and without attempting to pierce the fish, they simply left the bow as it was and went away. Some with great difficulty drew the string from one end to the other, <clears throat> but being unable to tie the other end, <laughs> they were suddenly knocked down by the spring-like bow. My dear queen, you will be surprised to know that at my Swayambara meeting, there were many famous kings and heroes present, heroes like Jurasandha, Ambashta, Shishupal, Bhimasena, Duryodhana, and Karna, were of course able to string the bow, but they could not pierce the fish because it was covered and they could not trace it out from the reflection. The celebrated hero of the Pandavas, Arjuna, was able to see the reflection of the fish in the, on the water, but although with great care he traced out the location of the fish and shot an arrow, he did not pierce the fish in the right spot. But his arrow at least touched the fish and so he proved himself better than all the other princes. All the princes who tried to pierce the target were disappointed, being baffled in their attempts. And some candidates even left the place without making an attempt. <clears throat> but when at last Lord Krishna took up the bow, he was able to tie the bowstring very easily, just as a child plays with a toy. He placed the arrow, and looking only once, at the reflection of the fish in the water, he shot the arrow, and the pierced fish immediately fell down. This victory was Lord Krishna. This victory of Lord Krishna was accomplished at noon, during the moment called Abhijit, which is astronomically calculated as auspicious. <clears throat> at that time, the vibration of Jai, Jai, was heard all over the world, and from the sky, came sounds of drums beaten by the denizens of heaven. Great demigods were overwhelmed with joy and showered flowers on the earth. At that time, I entered the arena of competition, and the ankle bells in my legs sounded very melodious as I walked. I was nicely dressed, with new silken garments, flowers decorated my hair, and because of Lord Krishna's victory, I was in ecstatic joy and smiling very pleasingly. I carried in my hands a golden necklace bedecked with jewels, which glittered at intervals. My curling hair encircled my face, which shone with a bright luster due to the reflection of my various earrings. My eyes blinking, I first observed all the princes present, and when I reached my Lord, I very slowly placed the golden necklace on his neck. As I have already informed you, from the very beginning my mind was attracted by Lord Krishna, and thus I considered the garlanding of my Lord, the Lord, my great victory. <clears throat> as soon as I placed my garland on the neck of the Lord, there sounded immediately the combined vibration of Mridangas, Pataha, and Anaga drums, conch shells, kettle drums, and other instruments, causing a tumultuous sound and while the music played, expert male and female dancers began to dance, and singers began to sweet sing sweetly. 
That was the longest, that was a big, that was a long explanation. Longer than the other ones. My dear Draupadi, when I accepted Lord Krishna as my worshipable husband, and he accepted me as his maidservant, there was a tumultuous roaring among the disappointed princes. All of them were very agitated because of their lusty desires, but without caring for them. My husband, in his form as the four-handed Narayana, immediately took me on his chariot, which was drawn by four excellent horses. Expecting, expecting opposition from the princes, <clears throat> he armored himself and took up his bow, named Sharnga. And then our celebrated driver, Daruka, drove the beautiful chariot without a moment's delay toward the city of Dwarka. Thus, in the presence of all the princes, I was carried away very quickly, exactly as a deer is carried away from the flock by a lion. Some of the princes, however, wanted to check our progress, and thus, equipped with proper weapons, they opposed us, just as dogs try to oppose the progressive march of a lion. At that time, due to the arrows released by the Sharanga bow of Lord Krishna, some of the princes lost their hands, some of them lost their legs, some lost their heads and their lives, and others fled from the battlefield. The Supreme Personality of Godhead then entered the most celebrated city of the universe, Dwarka. And as he entered the city, he appeared like the shining sun. The whole city of Dwarka was profusely decorated on that occasion. There were so many flags and festoons and gates all over Dwarka that the sunshine could not even enter the city. I have already told you that my father was very affectionate to me. So when he saw that my desire had been fulfilled by my getting Lord Krishna as my husband, in great happiness he began to distribute to friends and relatives various kinds of gifts, such as valuable garments, ornaments, bedsteads, and sitting carpets. Lord Krishna is always self-sufficient, yet my father, out of his own accord, offered my husband a dowry consisting of riches, soldiers, elephants, chariots, horses, and many rare and valuable weapons. He presented all these to the Lord with great enthusiasm. My dear Queen, at that time I could guess that in my previous life I must have performed some wonderfully pious activity. And as a result, I can in this life be one of the maidservants in the house of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When all the principal queens of Lord Krishna had finished their statements, Rohini, as the representative of the other 16,000 queens, began to narrate the incident of their becoming wives of Krishna. My dear queen, when Bhamasura was conquering all the world, he collected wherever possible all the beautiful daughters of the kings and kept thus arrested within his palace. When news of our imprisonment reached Lord Krishna, he fought with Bomasura and released us. Lord Krishna killed Bomasura and all his soldiers, and although he had no need to accept even one wife, he nevertheless, by our request, married all 16,000 of us. My dear Queen, our only qualification was that we were always thinking of the lotus feet of Lord Krishna, which is the way to release oneself 
from the bondage of repeated birth and death. My dear Queen Dropadi, please take it from us that we are not, af that we are not after any opulence, such as a kingdom, an empire, or a position of heavenly enjoyment. We do not want to enjoy such material opulences, nor do we desire to achieve the yogic perfections, nor the exalted post of Brahma, nor do we want any of the different kinds of liberation, sarupya, salokya, sarsti, samipya, or sayuja. We are not at all attracted by any of these opulences. Our only ambition is to bear on our heads, life after life, the dust particles attached to the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. The goddess of fortune also desires to keep that dust on her breasts, along with fragrant saffron. We simply desire this dust, which accumulates underneath the lotus feet of Krishna as he travels on the land of Vrindavan as a cowherd boy. The gopis especially, and also the cowherd men and the aborigine tribeswomen always desire to become the grass and straw on the streets of Vrindavan to be trampled to be trampled on by the lotus feet of Krishna. My dear queen, we wish to remain as such life after life without any other desire. Thus in the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 83rd chapter of Krishna, Draupadi meets the queens of Krishna. Here um, we see in the uh, ceremony where um, Arjuna was trying to pierce the eye looking in the shadow and the similar incident took place with Dronacharya in Mahabharata where Arjuna could do it. So is it because that he couldn't do it because Krishna was present here and he was to marry or there could be any other reason? We have to look at the commentary and see if any of the acharyas say anything about that. Actually here the queen said that it was more difficult than the Svaimvara of Draupadi um, because the fish was completely covered with some way or other. Whereas in the Svaimvara of Draupadi, it, as, as far as I understood, the fish was turning and they needed to look on a reflection. This is what Yeah, but Arjuna could do if he was empowered to do it by Krishna anyway, he would have done it, right? Unfortunately, he doesn't put the chapter numbers in this book. 84. Other points? I'm looking to see. Yes, Prabhu. Maharaj, I have a reflection. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, typically, because we hear, uh, because we grew up in India, uh, that lot of stories about Krishna marrying 16,108 um, uh, you know, queens and, uh, you know, people think uh, I, I, kind of they're people present in a very different way in a sarcastic manner. Um, in the, before I read this chapter, uh, you know, there was a bit of a confusion, you know, why this all happened, the mood of the all the queens. But after reading this chapter, it is pretty clear that all the queens, their goal was not to enjoy their goal was not to relish the kingly pleasures or the, you know, he was a king, he's a warrior, you know, he's a, a 
but only to serve to the maid servant i think once people once i read that more we use this as a tool to communicate people very clearly that without reading don't comment this is the mood of the all the queens which krishna accepted mm-hmm. and krishna is all self sufficient he doesn't need anyone it's just to satisfy or their you know uh, all their moods so he accepted that so i just want to share really helped me once this recalling one conversation where a man was mentioning about that in a conversation with prabhupad that is and Prabhupada said, actually, all living entities are, are wives of Krishna because they're all prakriti. And the man was married, so then he said, so why you have taken Krishna's wife? <laughs> you're trying to enjoy artificially. And that's a point that's brought up before the rasa dance. Is because, and Parikshit actually perceives there's people in the audience that will misunderstand and therefore, he, he's demonstrative, or he wants Shukadev to be demonstrative in explaining exactly what the, the ontological situation is between Krishna and the gopis. And he said that he's, they're his own energies, just as a child plays with his hands or the shadows uh, of his hands, then it's similarly Krishna's playing with his own energies. It's not like an ordinary living entity yeah. trying to artificially enjoy. Thank you, Maharaj. Shamataka Jewel, so my father's heart tormented. Husband had gone to fortune, took hold of his feet. Austerities. Which one is it? Father said, okay, my father arranged for seven, oh, bulls. It's after the bulls, right? There's Bhadra, Lakshmana. O Queen, I repeatedly heard Narada Muni glorify the appearance and activities of Achuta, and thus my heart also became attached to that Lord, Mukunda. Indeed, even Goddess Padmahasta chose him as her husband after careful consideration, rejecting the great demigods who rule various planets. <clears throat> my father, Brihatsena, was by nature compassionate to his daughter. Then we said, just as the fish was used as a target, in your Swayamvara ceremony, O Queen, to assure that you would obtain Arjuna as your husband, so a fish was also used in my ceremony. In my case, however, it was concealed on all sides, and only its reflection could be seen in a pot of water. It says, Vishnu Chakraborty Thakur, Lakshmana said, a fish was also arranged for your fish was also arranged for your trophies. <laughs> when you had the desire of obtaining Arjuna. In some editions of Bhagavatam, the word prahipsaya prahipsaya is replaced by parteshvaka, which means struck by the arrows of Arjuna. But one may ask, why why couldn't Arjuna pierce the fish in Lakshmana's case? Lakshmana answers, saying, in my case, the fish which was moving very quickly, could only be seen by looking at its reflection in a pot of water placed at the bottom of a pillar. It could not be seen by looking up. To shoot my target, it was necessary to aim by looking up and down at the same time, an impossible feat for any mortal. Therefore, only Krishna could strike. Only Krishna could strike the target. But the fish arranged by your father, though covered, could be 
aimed at by looking straight up at the pillar and thus be pierced by the expert marksman Arjuna. Hearing of this, thousands of kings expert in shooting arrows and wielding other weapons converged from all directions on my father's city accompanied by their military teachers. My father properly honored each king according to his strength and seniority. Then those whose minds were fixed on me took up the bow and arrow and one by one tried to pierce the target in the midst of the assembly. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. Lakshmana said, <clears throat> hoping to attain, hoping to attain me, the kings took up bow and arrow in that assembly. Some of them picked up the bow <clears throat> but could not string it. So they threw it aside in frustration. Some managed to pull the bowstrings toward the tip of the bow, only to have the bow spring back and knock them to the ground. A few heroes, like Jarasandha, Shishupal, Bhima, Duryodhana, Karna, and the king of Ampashta, succeeded in stringing the bow, but none of them could find the target. Then Arjuna looked at the reflection of the fish in the water and determined its position. When he carefully shot his arrow at it, However, he did not pierce the target, but merely grazed it. Vishwanath, Lakshman said, with great concentration, Arjuna detected the target, reflected Abhasam in the water, and carefully released his arrow, which touched the fish, but did not pierce the center. This was known by seeing the arrow mark on the side of the fish. Some say that even though Arjuna was expert in the knowledge of finding targets, he could not pierce it because he lacked the strength. After all the arrogant kings had given up, their pride broken, the Supreme Personality of God had picked up the bow, easily strung it, and then fixed his arrow upon it. As the sun stood in the constellation of Abhijit, he looked at the fish in the water only once and then pierced it with the arrow, knocking it to the ground. Lakshmana said, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's comment, Krishna pierced the fish, fish at noon, Abhijit, Chabijiti, despite the fact that the fish was difficult to detect because the sun was overhead. The lunar constellation, Abhijit, marks the period most auspicious for the victory. That's not even on. If you see what I'm, if you see what I'm saying. <laughs> I guess that wasn't very important, was it? <laughs> why, why, Yoda? <laughs> Alice, one of these days. To the moon, Alice. Yeah, I was just m marveling at how Srila Prabhupada, you know, assimilated all of these, uh, you know, commentaries. And just, you know, while he was reading them with, with the dictaphone. This can be the dictaphone. <laughs> While he was reading them in the dictaphone, he just put it all together. I mean, that's amazing. Really amazing. So in this case... I'll tell you a story. <laughs> eh? 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 My dear friend Tejas was dear to Prabhupada because he was very smart and he was already in India, he was in Peace Corps, all these things. So Prabhupada took him on board and he traveled with him. And there was like a almost like a ritual. Prabhupada
every time Tejas came in to the room, Prabhupada would stop what he was doing and he would talk to him and then he would go out. So that happened like lots of times. And then one day, Tejas came in and Prabhupada didn't stop. He didn't look up. He didn't greet him. So Tejas thought, oh, there's something going on here. He just sat down and waited to see what was going to happen. And then after, after some time, Prabhupada looked up and he kind of looked, you know how you look beyond somebody when you're looking up and he looked beyond him and he said, I could not have written these books. Krishna has written these books. <laughs> oh, it's one o'clock. Any other comments? Yes? Jess, I was just reiterating. <clears throat> it's just in the case of Lakshmana, there's Krishna prevailed. I mean, because you could think Krishna would make his devotee prevail, and he did many times do that. But in this case, he was to marry Lakshmana, and therefore... It proved the target proved impossible for any mortal, as Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says. Yeah, and only Krishna could do that. I was going to say. Also, I was thinking that in the case of Draupadi Swayam, but Draupadi had had the desire to to marry um, Arjuna, and here uh, Lakshmana had the desire to marry the Lord so to fulfill that desire of the devotee. Yeah, when you made that comment. I thought <clears throat> I thought I heard that that Arjuna had to look on the reflection of water to get Draupadi to marry Draupadi, um, but this seems to say that there wasn't that, and he, that he could see it. So. But he still had to look through water for. But isn't that that's that was for Lakshmana, not Draupadi, wasn't it? For Draupadi. I'm saying for Draupadi. Use the mic. Start over. I think he's asking. For confirmation, if uh, Arjuna looked at the reflection of water also in Draupadi's Swamvara ceremony. Start one over. of them was, they, yes, they had to look in the water at both, but one of them was down and it was covered. <coughs> Anyone else? Anyone? Anyone? Well, thanks for Prabhu. Yeah. Okay. Hare Krishna. I liked very much how at the end of each queen's uh, um, recounting the stories how they met Krishna, that they said, uh, Now I'm the sweeper at the house of the Lord. Maid I'm servant. the maidservant. I thought, wow, that's so touching. You know, it's not like I'm the princess and <laughs> I was one, but so much great. That's effort. a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what one of the reasons made it really nice. 
you had a point. I was just wondering why it was said that Dwarka is one of the most celebrated city in the whole universe. Like, why is it Dwarka, the city? Well, because one of the most celebrated uh, cities in the universe, because it's Krishna's city. He specifically made it for the devotees to be transferred from Mathura to be protected. And it's kind of unusual. It's in the middle of the ocean. Uh, you know, for all those reasons, it's one of the most celebrated. Because then we have... I thought it was the most celebrated. That's why well, I thought white, the it most. It can all simultaneously <laughs> be like that. There's perfect, more perfect, and most perfect. In In the realm of defining perfection and most best, that's how it goes. And, it, you know, like Rupa Goswami, in his, um, in his uh, <laughs> Upadeshamrita, he gives this great Vaikuntas Janito Vara Madhupuri Tatrapi Rasotsavad Rindaranyam Udarapani Ramanat Tatrapi Govardhanaha Radha Kundamihapi Gokulapite Premamrita Blavanat these are like he's talking about, okay, there's Vaikuntha above Vaikuntha, Vaikuntha's Janitovara, Marupuri, then there's, you know, Marupuri, and then above that's Vrindavan. He keeps going higher and higher. Each one is wonderful and celebrated, but there are gradations, even within the best. Thanks for joining us for this morning's reading of Krishna's Supreme Personality of God. I must say it's sublime, isn't it? Just like being able to hide out here, no one can find us. And <laughs> it's harder to get here. That's like what Dwarka was like. No one can get in. It's Gorpremanande. Uh, Ceremonies performed by Vasudev. Among the women present at Kukshetra during the solar eclipse were Kunti, Gandhari, Draupadi, Subhadra, and the queens of many other kings, as well as the gopis from Vrindavan. When the different queens of their statements as to how they had been married and accepted by Lord Krishna as his wives, all the female members of the Kuru dynasty were struck with wonder. They were filled with admiration at how all the queens of Krishna were attached to him with love and affection. When they heard about the queen's intensity of love and affection for Krishna, they could not check their eyes from filling with tears. While the women were engaged in conversations among themselves and the men were similarly engaged in conversation, there arrived from all directions almost all the important sages and ascetics who had come for the purpose of serving, of seeing Lord Krishna and Balaram. Chief among the sages were Krishna, Dvaraka, the great sage Navana, Devala, Vishwamrita, Shatananda, Lord Parusharama, along with his disciples, Vishishta, Galava, Vrigu, Pulastya, Kashapa, Atri, Markandeya, Brahaspati, Dutta, Trita, Ekata, the four Kumara sons of Brahma, Sanaka, Sanandana, Sanatana, and Sanakumara, Angira, Agastya, Jagyavada. As soon as the sages and ascetics, King 
Lord Krishna and Balaram immediately got up from their seats and offered respects by bowing down to the universally respected sages. The sages seats and water for washing their feet. Palatable fruits, garlands of flowers, incense, and sandalwood pulp were presented. Led by Krishna and Balaram, worshipped the sages according to the Vedic rules and regulations. When all the sages were comfortably seated, Lord Krishna, who descended for the protection of religion, began to address them on behalf of all the kings. When Krishna began to speak, all became silent, being eager to hear and understand our lives have become successful. Today we have achieved the desired goal of life because we now see face-to-face all the exalted, liberated ascetics whom even the great demigods in the heavens desire to see. Persons who but do not realize that the Lord is situated in everyone's heart, and those who simply worship different demigods for fulfillment of their own lusty desires are unable to understand the importance of these sages. They cannot take advantage of receiving these sages by seeing them with their eyes, by touching their lotus feet, by inquiring about their welfare, and diligently worshiping them. Religionists cannot understand the importance of great Mahatmas. They go to the temple as a matter of formality and pay their respectful obeisances unto the deity. One is promoted to the next platform of transcendental consciousness. One can understand the importance of devotees, and in that state, one tries to please them. Therefore, Lord Krishna said that the neophyte cannot understand the importance of great sages, devotees, or ascetics. Lord Krishna continued, One cannot purify himself merely by by traveling to holy places of pilgrimage and taking a bath there or by seeing the demigods' forms in the temples. But if one happens to meet a great devotee, a Mahatma, who is a representative of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one is immediately purified. To become purified, one is enjoined to worship the fire, the sun, the moon, the earth, the water, the air, the sky, and the mind. By worshipping all the elements and their predominating deities, one can gradually become free from the influence of envy. But all the sins of an envious person can be nullified immediately simply by serving a great soul. My dear revered sages and respectable kings, you can take it from me that a person who accepts this material body made of three elements, mucus, bile, and air, as his own self, who considers his family and relatives his own, who accepts material things as worshipable, or who visits holy places of pilgrimage just to take a bath there, but never associates with great personalities, sages, and mahatmas. Such a person, even though in the form of a human being, is nothing but an animal like an ass. When the Supreme Authority, Lord Krishna, was thus speaking with great gravity, all the sages and ascetics remained in dead silence. They were amazed upon hearing him speak the absolute philosophy of life in such a concise way. Unless one is very much advanced in knowledge, one thinks his body to be his self, his family members to be his own, and the land of his birth to be worshipable. From this concept of life, the modern ideology of nationalism has sprung up. Lord Krishna condemned such ideas, and he also condemned persons who take the trouble 
to go to holy places of pilgrimage just to take a bath and come back without taking the opportunity to associate with the great devotees and mahatmas living there. Such persons are compared to the most foolish animal, the ass. All those who heard considered the speech of Lord Krishna for some time, and they concluded that Lord Krishna was actually the Supreme Personality of Godhead, playing the role of an ordinary human being who is forced to take a certain type of body as a result of the reactions of his past deeds. He was assuming this pastime as an ordinary human simply to teach the people in general how they could live for perfection of the human mission. <clears throat> Having concluded that Krishna was the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the sages addressed him thus, Dear Lord, we, the leaders of human society, are supposed to possess the proper philosophy of life, yet we are bewildered by the spell of your external energy. We are surprised to see your behavior, which is just like that of an ordinary human being, and which conceals your real identity as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and we therefore consider your pastimes to be all wonderful. Our dear Lord, by your own energy, you create, maintain, and annihilate the whole cosmic manifestation of different names and many forms of stone, trees, and other varieties of names and forms, and yet remains the same. Although you create varieties of manifestations through your energy, you are unaffected by all those actions. Our dear Lord, we are simply stunned to see your wonderful acts. Although you are transcendental to this entire material creation and are the Supreme Lord and the Super Soul of all living entities, you appear on this earth by your internal potency to protect your devotees and destroy the miscreants by such an appearance you reestablish the principles of eternal religion, which human society forgets by long the material energy. Our dear Lord, you are the creator of the social orders and spiritual statuses of human society according to quality and work. And when these orders are misguided by unscrupulous persons, you appear to set them right. Dear Lord, the Vedic knowledge is of your pure heart. Austerities, study the Vedas, and meditative trances lead to different realizations of yourself in your manifested and non-manifested aspects. The entire phenomenal world is a manifestation of your impersonal energy, but you yourself, as the original person of Godhead, are not manifested there. You are the Supreme Soul, the Supreme Persons who are situated in Brahminical culture, therefore, can understand transcendental form. Thus you always hold dominance in respect, and you are considered to be the topmost of all political culture. You are therefore known as Brahmanya Deva. Our dear Lord, you are the last word in good fortune and the last resort of all saintly persons. Therefore we all consider that we have achieved the highest perfection the perfection of our life, education, austerity, and acquisition of transcendental knowledge by meeting you. Factually, you are the ultimate goal of all transcendental achievements. <clears throat> our dear Lord, <clears throat> our dear Lord, you what? I see so many our dear Lords and I was... Oh, got it. Got it, got it. 
<clears throat> Our dear Lord, there is no end to your, to your unlimited knowledge. Your form is transcendental, eternally existing in full bliss and knowledge. You are the supreme personality of Godhead, the supreme Brahman, the supreme soul. Being covered by the spell of your internal potency, Yoga Maya, you are now temporarily concealing your unlimited potencies. But still, we can understand your exalted position, and therefore all of us offer you our respectful obeisances. Dear Lord, you are enjoying your pastimes in the role of a human being, concealing your real character of transcendental opulence. Therefore, none of the kings present here, even the members of the Yadu dynasty, who constantly mingle with you, eat with you, and sit with you, can understand that you are the original cause of all causes, the soul of everyone, the original cause of all creation. When a person dreams at night, hallucinatory figures created by the dream are accepted as real, and the imaginary dream body is accepted as one's real body. For the time being, <clears throat> one forgets that besides the body created in hallucination, there is another real body in his awakened state. Similarly, in the awakened state also, the bewildered conditioned soul considers sense enjoyment to be real happiness. By the process of enjoying the senses of the material body, the spirit soul is covered and his consciousness becomes materially contaminated. It is due to material consciousness that one cannot understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna. All great mystic yogis endeavor to revive their Krishna consciousness by mature practice of the yoga system just to understand your lotus feet. They meditate upon your transcendental form to counteract their accumulated sinful reactions. It is said that the water of the Ganges <clears throat> can vanquish volumes of a person's sinful reactions, but the Ganges water is glorious only due to your lotus feet. The Ganges water flows as perspiration from the lotus feet of your Lordship. And we are all so fortunate that today we have been able to see your lotus feet directly. Dear Lord, we are all surrendered souls, devotees of your Lordship. Therefore, please be kind and bestow your causeless mercy upon us. We know well that persons who have become liberated by constant engagement in your devotional service are no longer contaminated by the material modes of nature. Thus, they have become eligible to be promoted to the kingdom of God in the spiritual world. After first offering prayers to Lord Krishna, the assembled sages wanted, wanted to take permission from King Dhritarashtra and King Yudhishthir and then depart for their respective ashrams. At that time, however, Vasudev, the father of Lord Krishna and the most celebrated of all pious men, approached the sages and with great humility offered his respects by falling down at their feet. Vasudev said, My dear great sages, <clears throat> you are more respected 
than the demigods. I therefore offer my respectful obeisances unto you. I wish for you to accept my one request. If you, if you so desire, I shall consider it a great blessing if you will kindly explain the supreme fruitive activity by which one can counteract the reactions of all other activities. The great sage Narda was the leader of all the sages present. Therefore he began to speak. My dear sages, he said, it is not very difficult to understand that because of his great goodness and simplicity, Vasudev, who has become the father of the Supreme Personality of Godhead by accepting Krishna as his son, is inclined to ask us about his welfare. It is said that familiarity breeds contempt. As such, Vasudev, having Krishna as his son, does not regard Krishna with awe and veneration. Sometimes it is seen that persons living on the bank of the Ganges do not consider the Ganges very important, and they go far away to take their baths at a place of pilgrimage. There is no need for Vasudev to ask us for instruction when Lord Krishna is personally present, because his knowledge is never second in any circumstances. Mm. For his, because his knowledge is never second in any circumstance. <clears throat> his knowledge is not affected by the process of creation, maintenance, and annihilation, nor is it ever influenced by any agency beyond himself, nor is it agitated by the interactions of the material qualities or changed in the course of time. His transcendental form is full of knowledge which never becomes agitated by ignorance, pride, attachment, envy, or sense enjoyment. His knowledge is never subject to the laws of karma regarding pious or impious activities, nor is it influenced by the three modes of material nature. No one is greater than or equal to him because he is the supreme authority, the personality of Godhead. The ordinary conditioned human being may think that the conditioned soul, who is covered by his materialistic senses, mind, and intelligence, is equal to Krishna. But Lord Krishna is just like the sun, which although it sometimes may appear to be so, is never covered by the cloud, snow, or fog, or by other planets during an eclipse. When the eyes of less intelligent men are covered by such influences, they think the sun to be visible. Similarly, persons who are influenced by senses addicted to material enjoyment cannot have a clear vision of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The sage's presence then began to address Vasudev in the presence of Lord Krishna, Balaram, and many other kings, and as requested by him, they gave their instructions. To counteract the reactions of fruitive activities and the desires impelling one to fruitive activities, one must with faith and devotion execute the prescribed sacrifices meant for worshipping Lord Vishnu. Lord Vishnu is the beneficiary of the results of all sacrificial performances. Great personalities and sages 
who were able to see everything clearly through the eyes of the revealed scriptures and possess vision of the three phases of the time element, namely past, present, and future, have unanimously recommended that to purify the dust of material contamination accumulated in the heart and to clear the path of liberation and thereby achieve transcendental bliss, one must plead for everyone living as a householder in one of the higher social orders, Brahmana, Chatri, and Vaishya, this worship of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Vishnu, who is known as Purushottama, the original person, is recommended as the only auspicious path. All conditioned souls within this material world have deep-rooted desires to lord it over the resources of material nature. Everyone wants to accumulate riches. Everyone wants to enjoy life to the greatest extent. Everyone wants a wife, home, and children. And everyone, want, and everyone wants to become happy in this world and be elevated to the heavenly planets in the next life. But these desires are the causes of one's material bondage. Therefore, to get liberation from this bondage, one has to sacrifice his honestly earned riches for the satisfaction of the Lord Vishnu. The only process to counteract all sorts of material desires is to engage oneself in the devotional service of Lord Vishnu. In this way, a self-controlled person, even while remaining in householder life, should give up the three kinds of material desires, namely the desire for the acquisition of material opulences, for the enjoyment of wife and children, and for elevation to higher planets. Eventually, he should give up householder life and accept the renounced order, engaging himself completely in the devotional service of the Lord. Everyone, even if born in a higher status as a Brahmana, Kshatri, or Vaisha, is certainly indebted to the demigods, to the sages, to the forefathers, and to other living entities. And in order to liquidate all the debts, one has to perform sacrifices, study the Vedic literature, and generate children in religious householder life. If somehow or, if somehow or other one accepts the renounced order of life without liquidating these debts, he certainly falls down from his position. Today, you have already liquidated your debts to your forefathers and the sages. Now, by performing sacrifices, you can free yourself from indebtedness to the demigods and thus take complete shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. My dear Vasudev, certainly you have already performed many pious activities in your previous lives. Otherwise, how could you be the father of Krishna and Balaram, the Supreme Personality of Godhead? What is the verse that goes with that liquidating debts before? He's saying, eventually, when in a renounced order, everyone, even if born higher status as a Brahmin, Kshatriya, Vaishya, is certainly indebted to the demigods, to the sages, the forefathers, and uh, to other living entities. And in order to liquidate all these debts, one has to perform sacrifices, study the Vedic literature, and generate children, religious life. What's the verse? It's 84. 
8439. Please indulge me just one second. 8439. Swamiji. Swami Maharaj. 8439 says, Dear Prabhu, a member of the twice-born classes is born with three kinds of debts. Those owed to the demigods, to the sages, and to his forefathers. I'll read it again. Dear Prabhu, a member of the twice-born classes is born with three kinds of debts. Those owed to the demigods, to the sages, and to his forefathers. If he leaves his body without first liquidating these debts by performing sacrifice, studying the scriptures, and begetting children, he will fall down into a hellish condition. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says, huh? Says the Shruti says, Jayamano Vai Brahmanastri Pira Rnavan Jayate Brahmacharina Rishibyog Yagnine Deve Pya Prajaya Pitri Pya. A is born with three debts. By celibacy, Brahmacharya, and studying the Vedas, Adhyayana the sages. By sacrifice and by producing children, he is freed from his debts to the demigods and forefathers, Pitrinam. But then he says in the next verse, 40, but you, O magnanimous soul, are already free from two of your debts, those to the sages and to the forefathers. Now absolve yourself of your debt to the demigods by executing Vedic sacrifices. In this way, free yourself completely of debt and renounce all material shelter. Devar Shibu Tat Nandrinam Pitrinam Niking Koronayam Rani Chirajan Sarabat Manaya Sharanam Sharanyam Gutomukandam Priyahrita Kartam Except for Tabat Karma Kurvita Nani Vigeta Yavata Makacha Shavana Dauva which says, and I quote, As long as one is not satiated by fruit of activities, has not awakened his taste for devotional service, Kirtanam Vishnu, one has to act according to the regulative principles of the Vedic injunctions. Gary, you comment? Give him the mic. Comment? Huh? You want me to comment something? Yeah. Give the, give the synthesis. Not sure. <laughs> yeah, just give a simple. Hmm. Well, by serving Krishna, it's, um, it's automatically you're fulfilling the other duties um, and responsibilities. <coughs> so you don't have to necessarily do these things. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> you don't have to say I'm not sure. You're saying the right thing. 
just take off the I'm not sure part and you're doing good and speak with more confidence. Because everyone and everything is beholding to Krishna. Krishna is actually the giver of all benedictions to anyone and everyone. So if you serve and worship him, you're automatically serving and worshiping everyone and everything else. Thank you all. Thank you all. Continuing in the Krishna book, everyone, even if born in a higher status as a Brahmana, Kshatriya, or Vaishya, is certainly indebted to the demigods, to the sages, to the forefathers, and to other living entities. And in order to liquidate all these debts, one has to perform sacrifices, study the Vedic literature, and generate children in religious household or life. If somehow one accepts the renounced order of life without liquidating these debts, he certainly falls down from his position. Today you have already liquidated your debts to your forefathers and, and the sages. Now by performing sacrifices, you can free yourself from indebtedness to the demigods and thus take complete shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. My dear Vasudev, certainly you have already performed many pious activities in your previous lives. Otherwise, how could you be the father of Krishna Balaram, the Supreme Personality of Godhead? Okay, well, that you're saying there you go because based on which means that if one is chanting Hare Krishna, or even chants Hare Krishna one time, it's known that he's already previously performed these kinds of sacrifices. Just like Kardana Mamuni, you know, he appeared to be a materialist. He had a wife and he had sense gratification we can't even imagine, you know. And yet, he wasn't an ordinary saint. He wasn't an ordinary sense gratifier. He was a pure devotee because he became, he was the father of God. But I don't see how that juxtaposes with the verse I gave. Because I was just trying to support what you were saying here when you said, aha. Fact is, if somebody's chanting Hare Krishna in this life, which was what you were saying before, somebody surrendered to Krishna, then it means that previously they've already done these other kinds of ritualistic sacrifices. That's a general statement. I was talking about the specific statement about Vasudev. They're talking about Vasudev because he's the father then of God. Then I understand you're saying specific, I'm saying general. Yes. But then fair enough. Correct. I haven't understood why uh, Vasudev, who is the father of Lord Krishna, for doing sacrifices to liquidate his debts to the demigods. We, um, the, he, they mentioned that ordinarily that's the case, but here he says, "Many have already performed many pious activities in your previous lives. Otherwise, how could you The implication here is that his debt is already liquidated. 
I think we're on Saintly Vasudev. Places unto their lotus feet. In this way, he pleased the sages, and then he requested them to perform yagyas. When the sages were selected as priests of the sacrifices, they in turn induced Vasudev paraphernalia for executing the yagyas in that place of pilgrimage. When Vasudev was thus persuaded to start to perform the yagyas, all they took their baths, dressed themselves very nicely, and themselves with lotus flowers. With nice garments and ornaments and golden necklaces, approached the arena of sacrifice carrying in their hands the required article in the sacrifice. When everything was complete, vibration of mridangas, consciousness, and other musical instruments began to dance. Magadas. Were very sweet songs. Vasudev anointed his eyes with black cosmetic, stirred butter over his body, and then well, the symbols of the resemble the moon and stars because he was being initiated. Vasudev looked very beautiful surrounded by his wife. The Supreme Personality of God was present along with all the multi-energies All could actually experience the Supreme Personality of God at each different energies. At that time, Lord Krishna appeared. Balaram appeared as Sankarsana, the sacrifice such as Tishtoma and Darsha Purnamasa. Some of these yagyas are called Prakrita and of them, of them are, are known the sacrifices known as Agnihotra were also performed in the proper way. Thus, Lord Vishnu's ultimate purpose of offering oblations is oblations? Lord Vishnu. But in this age of it is very difficult to collect sacrifices. People have neither the means to collect the required paraphernalia nor the necessary knowledge or tendency to offer such sacrifices. When people are mostly unfortunate,
sacrifices. Vasudev offered ample riches, clothing, Vasudev, I just have a verse, another verse. Okay. Distributed to the subordinate persons engaged in singing, dancing, and similar activities. We may note that necessitates the profuse distribution of riches. Charity and the Brahmanas in the beginning and used are offered in charity to the subordinate assistants after the performance of the sacrifice. After offering the used articles to the singers and reciters, and his wives, dressed with new ornaments and garments, fed everyone very sumptuously. Members of the Vidarbha, Koshala, Kekaya, General, the fourth were all sufficiently remunerated by being and respectful honor. Then all the persons and while glorifying the they departed. Vidurashtra, Vidura, Shir, Dev, any other relatives and kin part. Profusely offering all kinds of and please them. Inhabitants of for a time dynasty. After performing the sacrifice, All the members of his family, all of the Raj, my dear brother, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, known as the bondage of love and affection. Exactly as character I have for your feelings. I am confident that our tie of love must continue. Our friendship must ever continue in spite of my inability.
to repay you. You will excuse me for this inability. My dear brother, imprisoned. I could never serve you as a friend, and although at the present moment I am very opulent, because of my material prosperity, I have become blind. I therefore cannot satisfy you properly, even at this time. My dear brother, you are so nice and gentle that you offer respect to others, but you don't care for any respect to yourself. A person seeking auspicious progress in avoid possessing too much material opulence so that he will not become blind and puffed up take care of his friends. By a great thing for the friendship activities executed as such to please his friend bound with love for Lord Krishna in their inhabitants of Vrindavan members of the outer dynasty and his associates by any other valuable articles Basudev, Lord Balaram, Uddhava, Narudinist, Raja, after Nanda Maharaj received all presentations, he, along with his students, started remained. Out their minds. When the men saw all their friends and visitors departing, they observed that the rainy season of the sacrificial ceremonies. I seem to remember, and maybe it's just because I read it in a commentary or something, that Maharaj stayed on and on and on, and they tried to, uh, yeah, it, it came to the point where they finally had a discussion, and, he, and they realized that he would not leave without Krishna. And then there was a conference, is, is it later on? Am I missing something? Huh? Is it later on? Maybe it was when I was in the bathroom. 
and then Krishna came to, to Nandamar, then Krishna go to Nandamar and say, look, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. So you go back and I'll, maybe this is in the Bhagavatam, I can't remember. I remember this very clearly. Huh? Did you? Do you remember where? And then, and then, uh, then Krishna went before him. Everyone tried to get him to go, but he wouldn't. Then they realized that he wouldn't go without Krishna. Then finally Krishna went and said, look, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen now. I'm going to go here and do this. I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to go back and be with you. And then, and then, uh, and then Nanda Maharaj agreed. Maybe it was, I, I edited that book. You know that? I edited that book. No, no, it wasn't it. No, it's, no, it's in, during the readings I've done over the last two years, three years, I heard it. Maybe it's in another place of the Bhagavatam. It's in the Bhagavatam. Krishna. Krishna spoke to Nanda Maharaj and told him what was going to happen. And then, and then he told him, after I do that, then I'm going to come back to Vrindavan and be with you. Maybe I dreamed it. <laughs> this is Dwarpa Yuga, right? And is it the Yuga Dharma for Dwarpa Yuga is, is it uh, deity worship or is it fire sa sacrifice? They seem to be performing a lot of sacrifices and deity worship, yeah. These are special occasions. Yeah, okay. These are special occasions. These are not the, yeah. They still performed sac fire sacrifices oh, yeah. in Dwarpa Yuga. Yeah. 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 They're, they're not as effective as... They were in Treta Yuga. I see. And another thought is that, like a lot of, so the Yuga Dharma for now, as we hear, heard Sankirtan Yagya, and I'm wondering if we can develop more this consciousness of like sacrifice, kind of like, like in this traditional sense, almost like a fire sacrifice, but in the, in the Sankirtan sacrifice. Like, The Mormons have a system where everyone has to go out and perform missionary activities for at least two years. I was talking to Davina. He always recommends, he's, he thinks that we should have that in ISKCON. That at least it's a, a solid understanding that everyone should perform Sankirtan Yagya and uh, being part of the the religion means performing sankirtan, making some sacrifice. Everyone's nodding their head. They think it's a, you think it's a good idea? Are you raising your hand voting yes? Excellent. 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 Think, thinking in terms of like Harinam, like, um, like kirtan, kirtans, the kirtan culture in our movement is strongly influenced almost like musical performance and it's it's not always a very conscious 
that this is like a yagya, like a sacrifice. It's it's oftentimes like uh, seems more like a like a spirit to enjoy musically. If we can have more conscious efforts of like maybe like before we start the kirtans and lead, being led by senior devotees in a more sober and conscious way. That, uh, can I can I <laughs> can I make an amendment? Can I amend that? Can I amend that? Oh, he's come all the way from the box seat, and he's got you. Got to give him the priority. What? Well, uh, one thing is what it seems to you, and the other is reality. First of all, think about those who have, who are doing kirtan in this movement, who are very talented. They sing very strongly, from the heart, and they are coming from very good families. They have dedicated their lives to chant Hare Krishna. There may be some mix because we are all mixed, no? Uh, so uh, we shouldn't judge lightly the Kirtaniyas. There may be one more than other that is eccentric. It's natural if you have the attention of the whole planet. You know, the Vaishnavas are looking at them, is performing there. But you have to see the underlying uh, interest, what's inside their heart, and what do they really want. And that you can see in their daily life. Most of them, they know the whole Bhagavad Gita by heart. Do you? Um, they hardly uh, do anything else. But, you know, they, they don't want any career. They don't want to make money. They don't want to a lavish lifestyle. So I just wanted to, to make clear that the one thing is what you perceive as such as entertainment and just superficial and something that is coming from a different place that you will perceive as soon as you advance a little more. You're here. I live in Alachua. And I can give one example about, and I love kirtan, I love partying all night, I love dancing and singing, and it's great. But there's this thing called the mission that we're on. And the missionary thing uh, is, was very clearly seen at one of our huge gatherings. There was 200 devotees in the Pondell there chanting. And there was a football game 10 miles away with 100,000 conditioned souls going to it. And it was suggested that we take the Harinam and go down. There was vehicles provided. You would take it to this football game where 100,000 people are going to hell. And the, the Kirtaniyas were too busy partying to go out and do the mission. And that's where I find it really completely uh, a different mood um, uh, the rock star kirtan mood, which I love, it's fun, but it's not. Um, these devotees didn't want to get up and go down and, and do it for the others. And everybody in that pondo, they were all devotees. We are all doing that. We were already doing it. But when you take it out, that's the difference. That's the missionary spirit that Prabhupada, he said, I'm practically whipping them 
distribute, distribute, go out and distribute. So if you've got 200 devotees who are in ecstasy, uh, blissful kirtan, and then you say, let's go share some of this nectar with these poor schmucks down here at the football game, and they're going, nah. <laughs> some of them, in fact, the quote was from a nice devotee. I really like this devotee that said it, but I didn't like it. It said, those people are drunk. That's the point. <laughs> Jagai and Mudai. If we would have said, oh, don't, don't go near them, they're drunk. Well, I, I'm drunk. We were all drunk. And Prabhupada came and pulled us up out of the football game and said, here, and gave us the nectar. So there's a huge difference between just having an in-house party and going out and doing the yagya. The real yagya is to take it out to the fallen souls. And I must, I must stand on this. I will not let this pass. You see, he's a sincere man. Why would we judge him uh, wrongly? <laughs> well done. Uh, well done. Yes, what, what, what now you have declared, my dear, you have declared a mission in your life, which is to convince all the Kirtanias who are not doing exactly what they're supposed to do at the right time, encourage them, give them inspiration, make them feel useful, and in this way you will accomplish your dreams. The dream is going to come true. And we will go to the big places where they are drinking and we are going to sing Hare Krishna there. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can tell you, I can tell you that, that um, uh, once a year this happens huh, at this place. And I suggest that that day should stay. Let's find other times during the, the, the year where there is no such Sangha, and they do have so many plays and games and things and hundreds and thousands of people drinking, and let's go. But then you, we need one leader, and I congratulate you. You have elected by... I will come with you. On these, occasions, on these occasions when the devotees come together, like 200 devotees sitting there chanting, this is a, a rare occurrence, and I've been living in that temple for 27 years, and it's a rare, rare occurrence that they even come to the temple at all, at any time of the day. And so when you get them together, and they're already doing Harinam Yagya, it seems like it's not that hard to take that other step and take it out. And I was really disgusted with the mood that, no, we're busy having our in-house party here. We're in bliss. We're too ecstatic here to go out and do what Prabhupada wanted us to do. I would like to, I would like to make an amendment that what we're doing here, a reading Srila Prabhupada's books seriously and intensely in which we hear this instruction directly from Prabhupada and you know, there's much evidence in his purports where he says that you know the kirtan and the books the reading of the books the distributing of the books the doing of the kirtan it's all kirtan and if we do more of this then we will hear Prabhupada saying it direct and it will I increase and even if the old timers can't come back from that, whatever it is, uh, the new devotees will come and do this. Speaking of old timers, I was at a GBC meeting in Chicago 
Ooh. about three years ago. Maybe it was four, I don't remember. You were there. And before we go to the GBC meetings, they ask us what we'd like on the agenda. So what I said was, on the agenda, I would like it if all the GBCs went out together on Sankirtan. And it was accepted. And to my great uh, delight and surprise, during the f first part of the GBC meetings, you know, there was a lot of stuff to take care of, as usual. And then um, <clears throat> many of the members kept saying, when do we get to go on Sankirtan? They were book distribution. We were going on book. We were setting up tables around the neighborhood. We had it all organized, right? And, and um, you know, when it came time, everyone jumped up and was ready to go out. And they felt ecstatic. And we were only supposed to go out, think, think for an hour. But I think a lot of them didn't come home for two hours. <clears throat> and it felt really good to have, as you were suggesting, you know, a way to, to organize. And I, I didn't, I've suggested things like that in the past and people just laughed. But I found there was an opening as an opportunity, so I suggested it. And then, you know, it was a really nice thing, actually, everyone going out together. And, it, and like Divyanga Prabhu was saying, when that spirit is there, then it really becomes. Yeah, yeah. Who, who made that proposal at the, at the, at the you? You made that proposal. I mean, that was my yeah. So, okay. So there is room for improvement. We have to be very careful the way we we deal with people. This is an inspiration. Uh, we know Vaisheshikapur was an inspiration for all of us, and the way he deals with people, and the way he talks, the way he addresses the, the issue. It was tacked with careful because everybody has a heart and everybody has is sensitive in this in, in this process of Krishna consciousness. So we have to address things in the right way. Otherwise, you will find rejection, and we have that that experience from the 70s. Uh, it was heavy, and we don't want any more of that. We don't want a heavy hand. We want a a, a, a sweetheart who can who can speak to us. And inspire us. And in this way, not only we're going to go one. Eleven, twelve, fifty stadiums to go. Right? But we need somebody who will inspire us. So thank you. And that brings us to the cow break. We'll be back here at uh, 25 minutes after the hour. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hey! Hey! Hey!